had goals for this book. So it's a, it is Molden, isn't it? It's Molden. M O U L D E M. So it's so Molden rather than Molden. We get lots of things. Molden, Muldoon, Molden. We get lots of things. Yeah, but it's it's Molden, yeah. Yes, that's quite right. Or lethal Paul Molden. <laughs> the extraordinary yeah. life uh, is this book, and it is extraordinary. I'm very glad. Uh, that it came out after my book, From Kids to Champions, so I don't stomp on your glory. I did source. So I wrote this book about the Youth Cup, and it came yes. out on pitch, uh, like your book did, uh, but came out in May, and there is a chapter about Man City and Leeds. Uh, and right. you are here uh, because yeah. you have a medal. Um, just as I was reading your book, Lethal, it occurred to me that there should be two things. One, a movie... <laughs> and two, what? two a tour with Lakey. Yeah, with Paul. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Who wrote the forward to the book? Can either of these things happen, or am I going to have to make it myself? I don't know. Don't have to make it yourself. I think I don't know. Yeah, because yeah. I, I read, I read something when Paul wrote his book that we were going to make a movie because that was, you know, as with any young player that's got to pack in playing football, it was criminal. What happened to Paul? But you know, these things do happen, don't they? In in, in our sport. The book is I'm Not Really Here, and it is routinely brought up as one of the best footballers' yeah. memoirs. Did you go to Lakey for advice on how to construct your book? Admittedly, you didn't have... You had the, the same kind of in, injections and injuries that he had, but nowhere near as severe. No, I didn't... No, so what happened is David Clayton, I got invited to, to City. When I had, I had two, two new hips fitted, and the guy that looks after the past for the ex-players pulled me up to play in the Masters. And I just, because I was, I, I, I packed him playing non-league and then within 12 months I had both hips replaced. I, I got this sore back, but I didn't know it was my hips. So I packed in about 36, 36 and a half and then I had the hips done and this guy formed me because I keep playing the Masters. Can't play the Masters, I've got two back, two new hips, yeah? So he rung me up 12 months after. We had a bit of a set to, so I never got invited to any games or anything like that, whether it was coincidental or I don't know, whatever. So I got invited off somebody else to one of the games, bumped into David Clayton, and he said, you know what? He said, I'm going to put an article on the, on the thing as a forerunner on the internet, as a forerunner to write in a book. And I just found it so funny writing a book like, about, you know, about what? And um, he said, no, there's massive interest. So that's what we did. That's what, that's what he did. And then, he came to me uh, probably about six months after and said, massive interest, let's write a book. And I, I sat on it for probably three years, something like two and a half years. Uh, and then it just happened. So, no, I didn't I didn't speak to Paul about writing right. a book because, I, I, I'll be honest with you, I didn't think it was, you know, um, Paul's story is like, is a sad one, isn't it? You know, mine, I just thought it was, un, un, it's cause it's, cause it happens to you, doesn't it? I just thought it was really unremarkable. Like, like who'd want to read about, um, about me? So... We sat there with David and, you know, so I had time to think about it, whether I wanted to do it or not, but I've never wrote it, I've never wrote a book, you know, I've never wrote a letter really, to be fair. And um, it just happened that, you know, David came and we set about it and that was it, if you understand what I mean. Absolutely. We, I didn't have time. Because I've, I've spoken to footballers who have collaborated with authors on books and it seems to be that you sit down and all they do is dot the I's and cross the T's. So were you involved in the manuscript? Did you have a read through the finished draft? Oh. 
very much so because what I didn't be, what I didn't understand that I was talking to David and um, because I've met him a few times since the initial meeting and I was talking to my mate Effin and this and that what a fucking knobby is and, and when it came out I thought, whoa that's that's too much because that's me talking to a friend not what I want to be portrayed but yeah um, we read through it we read through it we got everything tried to get everything right in it um, factually right. And yes, we, we had um, a big input in it, yeah. Fab. The book is called Lethal, 340 goals, dot, 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 in one season, The Extraordinary Life of Paul Mulden. Um, we will go through some of the highlights of the movie of your life, but before I do anything, I just want to commend the fact that your sons are now third-generation footballers, because your dad was a footballer, you played right. football, and you've got three yeah. kids who are doing amazing things. Um, who's yeah. your favourite child? Yeah. Favourite child, you can't, you can't say that. Good, you just testing. That. No, always testing. Yeah, no. Um, they're, all, they're all good. What what Joe's done to go to America? To be honest with you, now as we speak now, the Joe's had to pack him because he's got a bad hip. Not a bad hip. He's he had major surgery on his hip twice. So as of um, probably about what thirteen months ago, he's had to retire. Uh, he's twenty six, so he's coaching now at Georgia Southern University. So he's he's still in football. I've got Teddy who retired at nineteen, eight sorry eighteen, because his his ankle, um, a growth plate, and his ankle never never set set about growing. It's hard to explain. But he's got a flat ankle. He's no yeah. round bones in his ankle. He's got a flat ankle. So he's kept on a Bolton now. He's just twenty two. So you know, so pleased for Ted because uh, and, and Joe really because you know to like Paul to be to for football to be taken away through injury and at such a an early age they've done really well. Um, and then Louis, so Louis, and, and you look at Louis. Louis like so Louis went from Liverpool to Manchester City, brought both his wrists, had both his wrists pinned uh, in a three-year period, and had a cartilage out. And you know, for him to, you know, he's been let go by Man City. He's gone all around to monitors, and you know, it's character building, isn't it? Because like I said life's easy when it's when it's when it's running sweet, isn't it? But when you get a, a knock in life, it shows it shows your character, doesn't it? Or lack of, depending on which way you know he goes for you. A wise man said that football is two parts failure and one part success. That is something that will be writ large over this documentary or... My, my, my granddad sat me down. I played for England school by, so I broke my leg. Just before Christmas, at, um, played for um, Bowen Town team. I managed to get a cap at uh, Stoke versus Scotland. I played at Stoke versus Scotland. And I, got, I got chucked on for 10 minutes to get a cap. Uh, but then... then a month, about five weeks after we played at Wembley. Wasn't due to play, went for training on the Friday, ended up showing that I was back to something like. They changed the team around, I played, I started. Um, scored one, set one up, and I was only playing on probably two and a half cylinders because, because, of, the, because of the broken leg and, you know, sitting there for 16 weeks doing nothing. And my granddad came up, and I'll never forget, we lived in a terrace house with a little wall in front of the house, and I sat on it, because it, it was June, end of June, and he said, well done, Master. He said, well done yesterday. He said, brilliant. And um, he said, but, he said, always remember, 70%, 70% is disappointment, 30% is enjoyment. But bear, in, yes, but bear in mind that your youngest uh, actually played at the Euro Under-17s against France. He's now with Wolves yeah. Elite Development Squad, who are going through... Yeah. As we speak, they've just sacked another manager. So I don't know which George Mendes client is coming in, but who knows? Maybe Louis Mulden will end up as first choice at Wolves. Um, well, we also. Yeah. yeah. I, I must ask how you are, because you do detail this horrible brain hemorrhage that you had and uh, how the nurse 
uh, spotted it and it was another the moral of the story is the NHS we shouldn't make, put the NHS on a pedestal because sometimes the nurse has to cajole the doctor into really yeah. saying what's wrong with the patient but I felt rough really rough and it happened felt rough um, but Ted was on trial at uh, Man United and I just thought you've got to get him you've got to get him to Man United it's not fair not to get a kid to United so I drove I drove for about 40 minutes to get him to the cliff uh, and then I got out, and I just I just fell fell to the floor. And luckily, one of the one of the physios and a couple of members of staff was at um, the cliff, and they said, "Go to hospital." I will take you. I said, "No, I'll drive. I've got to drive. I've got to go quick." And yeah, the the, the, the nurse um, the nurse spotted it straight away. She was brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. much like I read Jackie McNamara's book, he similarly had uh, problems with his uh, central nervous system. So you are not alone in this. The place we start this movie of Paul Mulden's life is the chippy, Paul's chippy. Um, okay. Did people come in just to talk to you about your football exploits or did they just treat you as the chip man? It was funny. When, when you first started, you, when you first started some 25 years ago after packing pack straight away football, um, it was, uh, I think it was disbelief really. You know, my mum and dad had a chip shop in Bolton, but I got one the other side of Bolton. And I think it was a bit of disbelief. And then people would come in who didn't know you and they'd listen to the conversations that you were having over the um, over the counter. And that, so when I first started, it was Paul the footballer. But then by the time you 25 years had gone by, it was it was definitely Paul the chipman. You know, and it was like, you know, conversations did, you know, there were conversations about football, but. Because you, you're a hub of the community, you know, a lot of it was to do with the community as well, you know what I mean? But there was, you know, people did come in to talk football and that, that was always always a, always a pleasure, you know? Yeah, and evidently you'll do chatter with Man City fan podcasts. There's two kinds of Man City, the Taxin Sinatra and the Shakes, and then the pre-era. And right. what I get a sense of in this book that I didn't get the sense of in Teenage Kicks so much... Uh, which you contributed to and which is chronicled in From Kids to Champions, a book about the youth cup I'm not here to promote, is that City really didn't do their kids proud. John Beresford, Clive Wilson, Chris Coleman, albeit he was homesick, uh, and you. This, this was a bit, bit different, yeah. yeah. yeah there's a, this was different, definitely different. Superb player. I was so gutted. It was the first game of the season. I was gutted. That he, he, where is he? Because well, he was a, such a superb um, pass of the ball and you know you, probably, the, probably at the time one of the best passes Ian Scott and uh, Chris were probably the best passes of the ball I'd ever played with at the time uh, and probably still are probably still were um, but like you say Man City let you know so many players Eric Nixon uh, Johnny Beresford Jamie Hoylands uh, Earl Barrett Paul Walrus um, there came a point Darren Beckford's another one the, the list is endless but there came a point where managers didn't Okay, explain it. You would, you could have quite easily had. A, I won't say you won the championship with him or the, or the Premier League as it became, but you certainly would have got out of any division with with them boys playing one to eleven. You know what I mean? But managers came to a point where they just had too many players there. Um, were they going to play? Were they going to play? You know, Earl, were they going to play? Such about it? They mustn't have fancied them because they let them go. But they all went on to do, you know, exceptionally well, didn't they? Which is a credit to Skip to Tony Book who uh, was described by, was it Macaulay? If any of the lads have pissed him off during the week, uh, woe betide, they'd be on the wrong end of one of his infamous scissor tackles. He wouldn't tackle you, would he? Oh, 
I've I got so I got sent off uh, to um, Morecambe in a, one of one of my early games at seventeen. So I'm a first year apprentice and I swore at linesman, probably ten yards away from a dugout. Referee came across Saturday afternoon. We're gone for pre-match. Uh, so the club were doing it, trying to do it right for us, and I, I was such a ridiculous decision. I was just called a referee and effing, a linesman and effing sheet. So get sent off. What do you do? We get sent off. First time I ever got sent off. You, you got off the pitch and it's all in the dressing room. And all of a sudden, I heard um, I had feet footsteps coming down, and it was Tony. He he tore me off, the biggest strip I've ever been torn off. And then my old fella, I don't know what happened. My old fella came in because uh, my old fella was disgusted because everybody had heard it that I'd sworn at a linesman. And uh, Tony just went. He said, "He said leave him beside." But I've said enough. And uh, I mean, Dad just looked at me and just he walked out in disgust. And yeah, Tony was. Um, he when he sees a tackle, yeah, there's not really, he, he, he way into you. Yeah, but like <laughs> I said, like Mac is right. You know, you'd know, you'd know, you'd know if you pissed him off. Yeah, I remember it was frosty one day, and it was too too hard to play on, on the pitch football. And uh, Glenn Pardo brought a rugby ball out where he pulled that one from. I don't know how to play rugby, but bloody hell, you know, if Skip hit you, and uh, you'd, you'd, and Glenn, to be fair, you know, you knew about it. You know, and then I tell you what, another thing I remember: we played at um, Southport the the game the Saturday before the Arsenal game, the return of the Arsenal game, the second leg of the Arsenal game in the Youth Cup, and it was Skip's birthday. Um, I think I think it was in fifty five or fifty, one of the two. And uh, we played at Southport, and um, centre half was given. But I didn't want to get involved in it. But we had Arsenal were losing one. They were, were losing the, the game, first leg. And I thought, you just keep keep yourself. You know, don't get involved in it. I want to play Tuesday night in the semi second leg of the semi final cup. I think you've come. And come off half time. Oh, I got a right bollocking. And um, he's gone like, yeah, letting him kick. And I didn't let anybody kick me. But I just wanted to keep. Out, I just wanted to keep out of trouble. Because my, my mind was on Tuesday, and he was saying, "You're thinking about Tuesday, blah blah blah." And the more he went on, the more he went on. Just to me, he didn't say anything else to anybody else. He was getting his gear off, taking his gear off, and he, he so he, he stood there and he went to Glenn, "Have you any pads?" And uh, Glenn went, uh, "I'll look to Glenn, look some pads, no pads." But mine were like, "I because I broke my leg so many times, I had like built-in pads, they had socks, they had socks that went around your ankle and things." And he, got, oh, he said, "I'm not putting them on," and he, he's like, "You're off." Come and watch it. And he went on, and he's the centre half. Look, you're playing about seven minutes. He chased him into the corner, and uh, the centre half's got on the ball. And that was a massive lesson to me. Tony's let him get onto the ball. Skip's let him get onto the ball. And as he's got onto the ball, Skip's come behind him and scissored him. Yeah, that got carried off on a stretcher. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. He walked to the dugout, and he said, That's how you look after yourself. And uh, But he's still livid. And it was a massive lesson to me. Like, hey, you know, you that game you're playing is most important not the next one and B you know you've got to be hard to play in this game and, and you know that were, yeah so Mac is completely right in what he says yeah absolutely um, and I, yeah. I do detail this this run to the youth cups the 1986 final against a, a team who play in red uh, you drew the first game 1-1 and you scored in the youth cup final second leg I write that over 18,000 fans officially showed up on the Tuesday night Throughout the first half, the many thousands of United fans would make their way around the pitch into the north stand. They would be distraught by full-time, with Boyd and Mulden scoring the goals. So was that the biggest audience that you'd played in front of at the time? I think I played a few games in the first team, and right. so I played in the first 
um, on several occasions. But it was that, that night was brilliant because, like I said, they just kept coming and coming and coming and coming in, and they, they were walking down a tunnel, and they were walking down every tunnel that was available for for for, for whoever fans, whoever, whatever fans they were, and uh, it was just it was just something special that night. Yeah. Yep. And yeah, do you still com- have you still got the medal? It was, it was a combination of probably three, four years' work for us as 15, 16-year-olds going into the club, and certainly at 16, train on a, on a Thursday night, if not 15. And also, you could feel the relief, for, not relief, but the, the excitement through Ken Barnes, Glenn and Tony and Roy Bailey, because they, they'd done what they set out to do and quite quite easily, you know what I mean? So that was it. Yeah, of course I've still got the medal. Yeah, it's a tanking, isn't it? It's oh, yes, a tanking. it is, yeah. Yes. Yeah, um... proud of place my mum's, yeah. Oh, fantastic. That's very good, because I, I did ask uh, David Wheater how much money he got when Middlesbrough won it. He said zero pounds and the medals at my mum's. But yeah. I enjoyed reading yeah. about Paul Lake breaking down exactly how much money you got as a kid. Yeah. Uh, and then money yeah. becomes useful. You've got a 30 grand signing on fee, 50 pound per week, yeah. 25 pound went to your mum and dad. So when you see, well, your kids... Uh, Louis yeah. getting all that money. Do you advise Louis to put it in bricks and mortar or invest? We, we, we advise, him, advise him to look after it uh, the best he can, and just, just look after it the best he can. He's not got. He's only twenty. He's twenty-one in, in January, so he's a bit young for a house yet. I know he's living in, in a flat in Birmingham at the moment. At this moment in time, it's all about his football. So you know, I don't want him marrying about a house back in Bolton or a house somewhere that somebody's wrecking or somebody's you know whatever. So like I said, we just make sure he looks after his money and. Uh, you know, we'll go from there with that. So are you his representative or is there a, an agency looking after him? He has two, um, two lads that look after him. Two, uh, Matt Morris is one, uh, who used to be at uh, Wolverhampton and Richard, I forget Richard's name, he played at Wolves. So they both work for separate agencies, but because he's a keeper and they were two keepers, they're trying to set something up for keepers. So he um, he's, he's advised by them two boys. And to be fair, they're smashing. They, Great. They, they are real. I'm very glad because one of the things that I came away from lethal, 340 goals in one season, I don't particularly want to talk about all those goals because you didn't particularly. It was all in a scrapbook uh, and fans yeah. of that record will be able to read it in uh, game by game basis. I mean, you beat Sharples 28-0 at one point yeah. and uh, it'll be a good montage in the movie of your life. Um, but we'll get to that. I just wanted to ask, would an agent... Has have helped you sort out the Mel Matchin problem? Uh, what an agent! I don't, I don't think so. No, I, 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 you know, somebody read it. A, a friend of mine had read it, and he, he's like, only last night he said, "What was the problem?" Like, like you say, in industry you sort it out, don't you? In, you know, public life you sort it out, and I just, I just. I just don't know. I just, but he'd done the same to Andy Savile mm-hmm. at Barnes. Because me and Andy joined up at Birmingham. And uh, he just said, he said, how did he treat you? How, how did you find him? And I said, oh, I said, peculiar. And, he, and Andy went on peculiar, worse than peculiar. It was like a carbon copy. So Andy was scoring goals at Barnsley, I was scoring goals at Man City. And as soon as you got on a bit of a run, bang, you were out. And it was not, not me, the team. And I just thought, well, you know, before... before and, uh, and don't get me wrong, I wasn't the, the saviour, nothing like that, Man City that season. All the lads knew how to play to me. All the young kids knew, young lads knew how to play to me. And we got the best out of each other. And... Um, and I thought, well, you've gone seven games without winning. I did win. I don't think they won. They had a real bad start. And then, you know, I started playing. We started winning. And then all of a sudden, we were back and you were out the team again on the bench, or not even involved in it. And it was, it was, it was peculiar at the time. But you, you think back now, and it was even more peculiar, you know, because you had John Dean there, who was assistant manager, and you know, John Dean was great, absolutely fantastic guy. And but 
you know, was it a clash of personalities? To be firm, until Christmas, I didn't have a personality. I was just, um, I just went in, wanted to play, wanted to train, wanted to play well, and wanted to score goals. So, you know, I wasn't cocky, I wasn't aggressive, I wasn't, you, you know what I mean? I, I, I just wanted to play football as a young lad. And at Christmas, to, to Boxing Day, stroke again. I just, I, I just grew up about ten years, and I wasn't having any more of it. I just sort of venting me, uh, venting me opinion. And yeah. that was it. And you did the same at Oldham with Willie Donachie. And I, it was... That, that I, was having read 200 pages about you having these injuries that you say always lasted months, not days or weeks. Yeah. And you, it just, it all gets to a head. It's never the moment. It's always like the frog being boiled. Um, that yeah. gradually you get more and more irritated. And throughout this, you, you come up against... And this movie of your life will have... Uh, Cluffy, Fergie, Howard Kendall, who makes a hard tackle on you that um, shows that he respects you. There's a manager montage I would do of kind of Neil Warnock, Mel Matching, Joe Royal and Barry Fry. Um, that would yeah. be your ultimate nightmare, I think, if you were trapped yeah. in a lift with them. And then you've got um, Sean Teal as well. Yeah, the tackle with Teal. Well, so I put that in, I put that in because Sean's voiced his opinion about... You know, so you read Lakey's book, you read, you read Dave White's book um, about me. So what they say about me. So I'm the wallflower. I'm I'm, I'm aggressive. I'm hard. Um, I stand up for myself. I'm only small, but I stand up for myself. Brian Kilcline, he signed at Oldham, and the first person he came to was me. And he said, well, you know, he said, I can't believe you're here. And he said, you know, he said, we always have a right ding-dong when we play. So Sean's vented his, um, his, his opinion in, in, in two or three books uh, about this tackle. And you know, let's let's call a spade a spade. You know, the tackle he he, he did at me on Main Road that we scored the first goal. I was in the first goal, my first goal, so my second goal off. Uh, the free kick that the keeper saved onto the crossbar. The tackle's right over the ball, and that ended my career. Albeit seven, six, seven years after, that ended my career. That tackle, and and he says, "Oh, I'm, you know, my friends, I'm a shit house. I'm this, I'm that." No, the, on the day of the um, tackle, it was either me or him. You know, it bounced, and it was either me or him that was going to get um, carried off the turning pitch, and it wasn't going to be me. It wasn't going to be me. He done me once, and and like I say, if you'd have read probably, I know Hickey's book weren't out, Dave White's book weren't out, but he'd have probably had a bit more of my character, understood a bit more of my character if he'd have read them books, you know. But yeah, he, he just he just vented his opinion, so I think you know it's it's time that you know I put my side on a on a piece of paper and people can make their own minds up, yeah. And the book is out now, Lethal, 340 goals in one season, which we will get to. I sound like a kind of Ross Noble comic bit where I'm promising this big thing at the end, but it's all in the book. Uh, I wanted to talk Luther and Justin Fashionu because you played with both of them. And Luther is, of course, he's basically got the freedom of Watford now. I'm in Watford and Luther is always at public events. He's kind of Graham Taylor's representative on earth. And it was Luther that basically told you to get your ass down to Bournemouth. So, yeah, yeah. why was Luther well, such a good player? Why? Um, why was he such a good player? He had, he had bags of pace, didn't he? He had bags of pace, bags of enthusiasm. He could play, he could finish. Uh, he was a hard lad. He was, you know, a, a physically a hard lad. And, uh, yeah, just um, just an absolute absolute pleasure to play with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Justin Fashion, who similarly, he ended up standing up for you and saying you never, yeah. you never stop running. Uh, yeah. Fash seems like yeah. again he has had films and books written, films made about yeah. him. Um, was he um, one of the most misunderstood footballers? I had a short, short encounter with, with Justin, but uh, misunderstood. Yeah, I don't. 
I, I, I can't, you know, I think, I think about him quite a lot because um, he was, he had enough balls to start, like, like you just said, he had enough heart to stand up to, me, up to the manager at half time. He could play, dear me, he could play. A uh, big, strong lad. Uh, and and such a nice bloke, such a such a really nice guy. And uh, was he misunderstood? I don't, I, I, I couldn't put my finger on it. You know what I mean? Mm. The, the the I just don't know. He was just he was just a, a, a great player and a great guy. Yeah. And I wish you know you, you you think back and you think bloody hell if you could have played with you know if you had two year with Justin Fashion two year three year with either of them. What what um you know like Darren Beckford if you had two or three years with Darren Beckford you know life would have been so much easier you know because um, they were great players great players and you know tremendous tremendous people it's no surprise that Jack Grealish has ended up at Man City because his dad Tony was there at City when when you were there originally you would watch football matches in a Man City kit so you were you were a Man yeah. City fan and then an employee um, yeah, I don't think Tony Grealish is Jack Grealish's dad, is he? Fucking heck, if it is, I will go and shake Jack Grealish's hand because Tony Grealish was a massive influence uh, like Graham Baker. Tony Grealish was a massive influence on um, on me at Man City for a short time. You bump into these characters in your life. I followed Tony's, um, you know, Tony's uh, life after because I went to Birmingham and, you know, I had to talk to people that knew him. And um, I thought he's like, because he's died now, hasn't he, Tony? So, it, you know, it's a great, again, a great, a great loss, a great loss to um, people and to football and certainly to me because he was such a, such a nice guy. Uh, I think I've got this wrong catastrophically, but he does say, Wikipedia does say, that his nephew is the musician Example, who was very famous. Maybe you met a, a guy called Elliot, a young lad called Elliot, uh, who right. was a, a rapper in the kind of Ed Sheeran mould. Um, so, right. gosh, so that's taught me something. Well, that's the first thing I looked at when when I saw Tony, uh, uh, Jack Grealish play. I thought Birmingham Villa must be a relative of Tony's, but I could never find anything out because, like I said, I, I, I can't speak out enough of Tony Grealish. He was, you know, a super guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there are so many figures from the before times at Manchester City. Yeah. When when Franny Lee took over, were you pro anti or did you just not care about your former employer by that time? Um, no, I've always wanted City to do well. Funny Lee, um, Bolton Bloke, isn't he? West Orton Mackay. Uh, I don't know, you just thought that he, because at the time they were, they were on, on, the, on the decline, weren't they? And you just thought, you know, you just thought that they would, um, you know, that somebody would turn them around and get them back on the straight and narrow, wouldn't you? And, and not straight and narrow, but get them back where they belonged. And, yeah. You know, um, like I say, you, no, no, no. Man City have always, you know, you, the, the the ride up there. They, they, you know, they, they should be they, they should be worthy. I know, you know, the best team in England, and hopefully this year, best team in Europe. You know, uh, how many people my... a day ask you about Erling Haaland? <laughs> it's mad, isn't it? But I just think, I just think, if you if you follow football, he's he's on everybody's lips, isn't he? On everybody's lips, yeah. You know, so we were talking to my dad the other day about him. Uh, I said, like, you know, about Dixie Dean's record, um, and I said, you know, I said. When I was a kid, I, I was an encyclopedia about football. I used to look back at the records and look back at teams and the founding members of the football league and all that. I was really interested in the, in the history of football. And uh, you look at Dixie Dean's record and you think that's that. You know, that's a, it's probably goal this year, wouldn't it? But, but you know, people have been telling you that the, the old records will never be in consecutive games and this and that, and they all go, they all they all fall, don't they? But I, I always thought Dixie Dean's record will be the, best, the last one to go. Oh, it will never go. No, that no. I think you'll find they'll be talking about your record soon. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, he's, uh, 
you know, I could score goals, can I? I could score goals. I like scoring goals, and you know, like saying, well, this oh, so he's he's different class, and he? he's absolutely different class. Well, you you were different because, and I, I realised this after reading your book, Lethal. How did you score so many goals when the opposition could just pass the ball back to the keeper to pick up? What do you mean as a kid? Yeah, because surely that would delay the game for about half a minute at a time. But you'd the the, the yeah. matches are ridiculous. The goals that your team and you scored. This is at Bolton Lads Club. Um, You've got to understand. Understand the football is not then wasn't like it is now. So every kid up till fifteen, sixteen played what we we'll call Sunday league football. Yeah, because you had to play for school Saturday. Like, suddenly you got a bad name 20 years ago, like, you know, kids' football, before the academies really kicked in and started taking kids. But every kid played on a Sunday, because you had to play for school Saturday, Sunday played play for, your, for your, your chosen club, yeah? Um, so there was, no, there was no bad teams, if you understand what I mean. There was no bad players. That was the best players in Bolton. All the best players in Bolton played at that age played in the league. And uh, what... We, we just had a phenomenal team. You know, we had a phenomenal team. We've all got back in touch about 12 months ago. We've got a WhatsApp group. And some of the stories that come out, uh, you know, the, 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 the funny and frightening, uh, like uh, one lad that we all knew from, like, hanging about, uh, the manager said, swap over, swap over to the other, he was a winger, swap over, swap over wings. And the, this team played with two wingers on one side because the, the kid won't swap over <laughs> because he... he he wasn't going to kick on his side. If he went on the other side, he knew he won't get a. He definitely knew he won't get a kick. So we had a we had a we had a great side. How did we keep scoring goals? You know, I don't I don't know. It's um, I think fo- football. You know, I, I don't know. Football was different then, wasn't it? People wanting to play, and I won't say after 20, 25, 26 goals against you, but that was a different story because that was a kid who um, sat in front of me at school and uh, ballooning that he'd uh, that they beat us. So yeah. we, we we had a chatty train. No, I had a chatty train with the lads, and so we got to smash these and we did big. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's um, we just had a great team. We, that team went on to win two Lancashire Cups in succession. 14s and 16s, which had never been done in Lancashire before. Went to all the tour- tournaments again, weren't like they are now for the kids. There were select tournaments, went up to her, her in Scotland and beat and won that. So that was the um, May. So we played in that. So we had me, Ian Scott, and Julian Darby, who played for England schoolboys at the same Sunday league team at Wembley on the, in the June. And the team that we beat had five boys play for Scotland at Wembley so the standard was like was in the, in the, in the big games and the, the big finals of the tournaments the standard was excellent and uh, yeah so that, that game that you saw for nothing on uh, Russell Park you know the, the, the semi-final you went to go to Wembley a month after and pay whatever six quid and you watched um, you watched eight of the end players playing at Wembley there is a lad who you played for with at England schoolboys who is currently on the biggest show in Britain. Are you watching Tony Adams doing the dancing? Yeah, I've not watched him, but I just saw I just saw a, a comment about him. He said he's the stiffest bloke that's ever lived. Oh, he's not I am. <laughs> but, <laughs> now he's written a book as well, Addicted, and then the follow-up, Sober, which um, join uh, Paul Lake's book. I'm not really here. You played with Paul Lake. You played with several yeah. fantastic Man City players at the end of the eighties. How did things go nuts? The one thing that you didn't really say in this book, maybe because you're modest, how did things go nuts after you got this world record? So, um, how did it go nuts? So, you were going to clubs, but like local clubs, United, Everton, Leeds United, Blackburn, Bolton, 
Man City. That was good. That was like exceptional. You know, I, I, I thought brilliant. You because know, my dad said you got to go and pick a club that you want to play at. You know, do you, when you walk into a club, you will know that that club's for you. Yeah. So I liked it at Leeds and this, this and that. So I thought that was really good. I thought things were taking off. But then we played at Wembley for school, the schoolboys team, and then I got a, um, my mum and dad got a call on the Tuesday from the F, from the FA saying I was invited to... But so bear in mind, I brought my good Christmas, got to the schoolboy team, my conversation with Grandad on the Sunday. On the Tuesday, I got an invita- invitation to go and train with the England under... They'd have been 16s, and under 16s, the FA under 16s team. So I was only 15, but I'd gone... So I was 12 months young. So I, I, that's when I first met Tony Adams, uh, Mickey Thomas, Tim Flowers, the list is endless, uh, Keane from West Ham, Potts from West Ham, Will I be able to perform? Am I that good to perform? And then you went out and you thought, yeah, I am. I can own my own. I can more than own my own. And uh, and that's when I really thought, flipping egg, you know, this is this is something special. This, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then a few years later, you end up having thirteen cortisone injections inside six months at Oldham, playing on a plastic pitch. Um, yes. The scene that will begin lethal when it's filmed is a dissolve. So you're serving chips. And then yeah. we dissolve to a, an 18-year-old Paul Mulden not mm. getting chips. I found that brilliant, that kind of story where you learn that you're playing for Man City when you yeah. don't get chips in the pre-match meal. Yeah, with, with Jim Melrose. That was, that was, looking back at it, that was so funny. But as soon as it got said, my heart, my heart dropped. Yeah, it's Villa Park. I've spun my car around on the, because it was frosty in the morning, going to Main Road. <clears throat> I was 13th man. I only meant one thing that you're helping Derek Sutton put the skips on the bus and you're helping Derek Sutton take the skips off the bus and you send the kit up, yeah? And uh, sat in the hotel at dinner time, my heart sunk when Billy McMillan said, No, love, you got it right. Jim, Melrose, you're on, you, you got chips. Paul, you got your pre match without like chicken and beans without the chips. And uh, my heart sunk. I didn't, I didn't touch my, t- they shouldn't touch my dinner. It was like, Wow. Yeah, of course. Yeah, you don't touch your dinner because you've. Ricky Hill, I think, no. found out playing pool. The managers walked past, yeah. I think David Pleat walked past and said, you're playing, Ricky. That moment, I'd love to know more about that moment for all these professionals. Um, Lethal is the book, 340 goals in one season. Paul Mulden's life is extraordinary in this book written with David Clayton. I wish you all the best in promoting this book. Uh, are you doing various signings at City? No, nothing's been, no, I don't think, I've, I've just left, left it with Laura, uh, yes. Laura Wolf, and, you know, she's sorting things out and, yeah, no, no, it's, um, I've done a few uh, interviews with the Manchester News yesterday, BBC Radio on um, Monday. So, yeah, I'll just leave it with Laura and see what she, she comes with. I'm amazed. I'll be amazed. I'm, I'm not only amazed. I am amazed that people have found it so interesting. I'll, I'll be quite honest with you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you should have been even more boring in that case, because this is a, <laughs> this is a very interesting book. A tally that beggars belief, a schoolboy phenomenon. <laughs> Uh, Paul Molden should have been a household name. This book might still make that happen. Thank you so much, Paul. Up the blues, up the up the citizens, and take good care That's of yourself. Right. You too, yeah. Just like the library. Just like the-